Happy holidays, everyone. This is Sarah. Today on the show, Chad and Clint reveal their deepest show-related secrets, discuss the difficulties of helping students work through their personal problems, and bask in the joy of dad chat. Okay, enjoy the episode. Hello, loyal listeners. We are so glad you've come back. This is Clint getting increasingly excited about the upcoming holiday break out here in Roanoke, Virginia. And this is Chad also counting down the days to winter vacation in Astoria, Oregon. And this is Schooldia, the podcast where two middle-aged teachers, dads, and hipster doofuses talk across the country about their combined 30-plus years of education experiences. And juvenile humor. We just can't resist a good fart joke. (laughs) Nope, always funny. Uh, The goal is to make a podcast that teachers... And everyone else, tell your friends... ...find as fun and interesting as the teacher's lounge during lunch. But without the complaint. Teachers don't complain, but we do whine sometimes. Yeah, it's kind of nuts that we've been doing this podcast for almost a year, huh? It's true. We've already done more episodes this season than last, and we have plans to take this thing forward for many seasons to come. This show has been really fun to do, and we're also really excited about all of you who listen and send us questions and comments. So we decided that for our opening segment today, we'd answer some frequently asked questions. We comb through our emails and Facebook messages and have come up with a few questions that pop up again and again. And we'll give you some definitive answers to those queries. So here we go. Question number one, we've seen this one a lot. How did you guys become friends? I think we maybe shared this once in in an early episode, but Clint was teaching at uh, Astoria High School for quite a few years before I got there. And I arrived, and I think the first year we had lunch together and corresponded in the halls, but I wouldn't say we really knew each other that well. No, not really. Yeah, it wasn't until we found that um, after I actually moved classrooms and began using a different staff bathroom that uh, we really hit it off when we realized our... How do I say this, Clint? Our regularity (laughs) was... In sync. It was in sync. And often not in the sync, but we were synchronized. (laughs) Yeah. Similar schedule. (laughs) Yes. We had a similar BM schedule. Yeah. And it's a one seat bathroom that we we used. So we were often passing each other by, sometimes with a look of um, sorry. I mean, there was a certain amount of triumph to knowing that you (laughs) got there first. Yeah. Because you got it fresh, like nobody else had used it. It was an untouched throne and we would kind of take turns defiling it for the other person. (laughs) In all seriousness, (laughs) that wasn't the only reason we became friends. I think we just started finding that we had a lot in common and uh, we often joke that we have the same dad because our dads are so similar. One of the things that really enamored me to you was when we would have those lunches is that there was always a tendency at lunchtime for teachers to kind of ramble on about their days or as we always joke in the intro complain but you were always a person who didn't want to talk about work right you want to talk about weird random stuff and I remember making a continuum of banana ripeness scale of banana (laughs) yes the banana ripeness scale we'd always laugh at one of our colleagues that would get yogurt on himself every time he tried to (laughs) open the yogurt it would spurt all over him yeah. And he'd get mad, and we just had a lot of fun being silly, and, yeah. and I always appreciated that. And we're still friends, even though you decided to move halfway, well, all the way across the country. I will say, leaving my friends behind, you included, was one of the worst parts about making the move. All right, let's not do, let's get off the mushy stuff here. Question two, will you ever do a live show? You know, I've been thinking about live shows, and I think it would be a lot of fun. I would love to come back to Astoria sometime and get together and do a live show with you. Right. Just maybe even just with some of our colleagues and and kind of do more of a roundtable. That would be fun. I listen to a lot of podcasts that are are studio-based and 
And every once in a while, some of those podcasts will do live shows in front of an audience. And uh, mm-hmm. man, if we ever got to that point, that would be amazing to go to some like would be teacher's conference or something and get the chance to do a live show in front of an audience. But uh, Ed, we'll see. Time will tell. That would be terrifying, actually, would be quite awful. frankly. <laughs> I would be so afraid. But one thing I have found when you and I get in front of people, I think we get extra silly and goofy, mostly out of nerves and maybe trying to one up each other. But I think we could actually put together a pretty good show. We'd have to do a lot more preparation than what we do now. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) That is for sure. Well, question number three is actually similar. We get a lot. How hard is it to record when we're so far away from each other? And we talk into different voice recorders and then just stitch it together in editing. And once we kind of figured that out, it wasn't hard at all. We just call each other on the phone and do the recordings, but it's actually not that bad. I'll I'll tell you the hardest part is scheduling it. I mean, the three hour time difference is huge because right now I'm, I'm recording at 4.30 in the evening and you know, it's three hours later where you are. That's 7.30 for those of you who stink at math. I've done a lot of early morning recordings on Saturday mornings for me, and then just working with each other's schedule. What you're doing at 7.30 in the evening is very different than what I'm doing at 4.30 in the evening. So just trying to get it all to work out. But so far it's worked out pretty well. Uh, so, So the next question is, how do you come up with ideas for sponsorships? I don't know about you, Clint, but usually I just try to think of something crappy that I have to deal with on a daily basis. And it sometimes just pops up like, what if they made this? And, and you know, usually yeah. they're pretty silly. That's usually where the inspiration comes from for me. I do a similar thing. A lot of times it's based in last minute panic where I realize that I'm the one that has to come up with the new sponsorship for the week. And I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? And I just sit there at the computer and type whatever comes up first. But I also get a lot of really the best ideas from colleagues at work because I put out kind of the call when we first started and Mm -hmm. said, if you ever come up with an idea of a thing you wish we had, give me an example of what it is and I'll try to come up with something to make it That's a great idea. I'll tell you, the idea woman of these is is a woman that I work with. Her name is Laura Knoll and she's fantastic. The cup where the pencils mate. One of my favorites, pencil mate. That was completely her. She just walked in and, and, and threw Let's it out get there. It on. And that was the thing is she came up with the let's get it on. Ah, so good. Thing. She's like, I don't know how you're going to make this work, but it needs to be let's get it on. I was like, okay. I, I got to crowdsource that a little bit in my building, I think too. I'm the same way. It's like last minute. I'm like, oh, it's my week to come up with a sponsorship and I have nothing. Usually something comes to me eventually. I've got to say, I really like the turn that you've taken where you're starting to pretend like you actually um, subscribe to these things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's a a good move. Thank you. I haven't been able to think that way yet to, to figure them out, but at some point I'm sure that they'll... They'll start hitting both sides of that. And and it would be amazing if someday we got to actually read a real sponsorship. Oh, my gosh. If we actually got money to do this silly thing that we do, that would be amazing. That'd be phenomenal. Well, that's a wrap for our Frequently Asked Questions segment. We have more questions, but no more time. Did we fail to answer your burning question? Have any ideas for the show? Please let us know by contacting us on Facebook or Twitter at SchoolJapod. You can also send us an email at SchoolJapodcast at gmail.com. But now, let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Are you too busy to make a home-cooked dinner after a long day teaching other people's kids? Needing a day off to recharge? Flu Apron has the solution you're looking for. That's right, Flu Apron sends you fresh, delicious, pre-portioned ingredients to make unbelievably delicious meals, but also provides a special viral blend to make you just the right amount of sick. You know, sick enough to skip work without feeling guilty, but not so sick you won't enjoy binge-watching Stranger Things from your couch all day. So the next time you're needing a great meal and a day off, think Flu Apron. Yum. 
Is it cold in here? And we are back. Clint, have you noticed that student behavior changes the closer we get to winter break? It does, doesn't it? And it's generally not for the better. And, you know, for a long time, I figured that most of that change was due to the fact that they were just really excited to get some time off. Right, me too. But over the last few years, I've come to realize that holidays aren't that fun for many of our kids. Right, which is super sad. And school, while not always the most fun for them, is a place where they can at least escape the sometimes toxic and abusive and dangerous home lives and families that they live with. Jumping off from one of the topics we discussed last week, we thought it'd be useful to discuss how we could help students navigate those difficult circumstances around the holidays. And frankly, throughout the rest of the year, uh, because there is an art to supporting our students and giving them tools to succeed without merely just giving them a free ride or lowering our expectations. Yeah, we'll also talk a bit about how to help a student who has made some choices that have gotten them stuck in bad situations and how to help them find their way out again without shaming or humiliating them. What are some of the big struggles that you see kids facing? Well, I think the one that really stands out is, you know, students that are coming from neglective or abusive families. You know, sometimes that's hard to see. Sometimes Sometimes it's more obvious or sometimes we're aware of it, but uh, it's it's more prevalent than I would <laughs> like to like to see, obviously. And, and it's certainly something that, you know, affects their performance at school. And if a kid doesn't feel safe at home right before the holidays, they're definitely not going to be super excited to spend two solid weeks at home again when they've been getting five day a week breaks. And even if their family is not necessarily a toxic home, having pervasive poverty involved can lead kids to struggle, especially with the holidays, the fact that they are sitting there watching all of their friends talk about the things that they're going to get for Christmas or for Hanukkah or whatever, and they know that they're not going to be getting much, that can be not just stressful, but like frustrating and disappointing and, and cause people to act out. It just gets worse at this time of year. I can't imagine I'm, the prospect of, especially if you're coming from an abusive relationship of three weeks or two weeks or however long your break is, of essentially living in fear without the break without the opportunity to go to school for at least eight hours of a day and, and, and get away from it for a little while. It's got to be really hard. Not just get away from it, but get to school and get relationships that are positive and get food and shelter and all the other things that, that come along with it. And sometimes our kids also just make really poor choices that get them involved in things that, that they really shouldn't. And so we have to deal with kids who maybe get pregnant or get hooked on drugs. I know that pregnancy is not a thing that elementary school teachers really have to deal with a lot, but in high school, we definitely do. I've got a freshman right now who has a child. You know, I'll tell you, since I've had kids, uh, my first five, six years of teaching before I had kids, uh, I think I was, I've worked with quite a few teen parents over the years, and I think it was much more difficult for me then to kind of understand. And now that I've raised three kids of my own and, and have had babies, and I've dealt with that. I feel like I am able to connect much better with students dealing with having their own baby or just the prospect of, you know, babies coming soon. I mean, when a kid tells me I had a hard time getting my homework done last night because my baby was up all night crying, it's like, listen, kid, I'm super glad you're here right now. Let's not worry about your homework. We'll deal with that tomorrow. And just sometimes giving that support is a huge step. And one other thing that I wanted to bring up, because those are all big and heavy, but I also wanted to talk about the relationship issues that sometimes our kids face 
case that can cause them a lot of distress. For example, just breakups, being in a in a somewhat long-term relationship and then breaking up with that person. I don't know how many times I have had to help a student work their way through the kind of relationship trauma of having somebody that you really care about not care about you as much anymore and having that fall apart. And I think sometimes as teachers, it becomes really easy to look at those kinds of smaller situations and say, oh, come on, that's not that big of a deal. And forget the fact that to this kid, it is a big deal. And it might be the first time that they've ever dealt with something like this. And dismissing it is not helpful at all. I clearly remember when I was in high school, I was dealing with a breakup. And at the time, at that moment in your life, it's huge. In hindsight, I look back and it was silly. And it, you know, but at that time, it's it's so big and it's, it's emotionally challenging. And the last thing I was thinking about is schoolwork and class and everything else. I was really, this totally consumed me. And I remember being out in the hallway talking to like, another girl who was like a friend with the girl I was breaking up. I don't remember. I remember a teacher coming by and doing exactly what you described. They said, this isn't that big a deal. You need to get to class, you know, chill. I just remember being just like crushed. God, I'm dealing with all this crap right now. And, and you're telling me that, you know, my class is more important than this. And she was right. My class probably was because I don't even remember the girl's name, (laughs) but I mean, now I don't. Hopefully she's not a listener. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The point of it is like, just be understanding where they're at in their life. Absolutely. In fact, I was just working with my daughter this evening. Uh, Something happened that made her upset. And my other kids were like, come on, it doesn't matter that much. That's just a little thing. And to them, it was a little thing because they're not nine anymore. And she was crying up in her room and she said, I don't like that I feel like a little kid. I don't like that I feel stupid. And I overreact to things. And my wife and I were looking at her and we're like, you know what? We all overreact to things. We all think that what's going on in our lives is the most important thing in the world when If you take a step back, you can look at it and say, okay, you know, with a little bit of time, you'll recognize that this isn't that big of a deal and you'll be able to work through it. But in that moment, of course it feels bad. And and we have to be able to treat kids like normal human beings and be able to, to hear what they're saying and provide them with some ways to get help. Sometimes all you want is to be validated. I, sometimes you don't, you're not even looking for solutions. You just want somebody to say, whatever you're dealing with right now is important. It's totally normal that you're feeling bad or that you're hurting or that you're scared or whatever. Sometimes that's all you need is you just need someone else to say, you're totally normal and feeling that way. And then maybe you can start looking for resolutions to it. Yeah. A lot of times it's just listening, just listening and and saying very little, (laughs) just kind of, man, that sucks. I'm really sorry that that's happening to you. And without specific training on that, it's really hard to just be a good listener without feeling like you need to help them fix it. And I've always struggled with that too. Kids will come to me and say, hey, you know, my my grandpa died, you know, last week. And, you know, you start saying things that, you know, oh yeah, I've been there, you know, and it's just like sometimes without that training, it's, it's hard to just listen and provide support without trying to help them in like real specific ways. So that's one thing that we try to do is to treat them with respect and to understand that whatever it is that they're dealing with is a pretty big deal. And that works really well with some of the aspects of life that more or less everybody has experienced, like when somebody is trying to deal with a death in the family or a breakup or something like that. But when it's one of those bigger problems, what are some of the things that you do to try to help students get through dealing with a child at home or a teen pregnancy or drug abuse and that kind of stuff? How, how do you help kids navigate that? I mean, I kind of already mentioned that, you know, that's not our mind, at least. It's not my 
training and and we have phenomenal counselors in our building and having clear communication with counselors I mean just this last week I've both walked somebody down to the counseling office and I've also just shot our counselors a couple emails about some students that I have some concerns with usually those counselors are already aware of it but you're never sure and so it's always a good idea to communicate with other people that goes into what my next point was going to be which is working in teams like communicating with the counselors of course communicating with administration of course but if you've got a student who is struggling there's a good chance that they're not just struggling with you and finding the other teachers and figuring out a game plan on okay how can we best help this particular student deal with this problem that is surfacing in their lives? How can we help them so that they don't end up drowning? As soon as you open that dialogue with other teachers, sometimes you find a solution or sometimes you find uh, something you've been missing or they'll shed some light on. They're like, oh yeah, you know, this kid's been misbehaving or they seem really um, distracted. And they say, yeah, well, they just told me last week that grandma just died and that's who they were living with. And this kid hasn't told anyone that. Not that you want to be gossipy and not that you want to like dig into students' issues if they're not willing to share, but if you're not aware of some of those things, it's hard to help or it's at least hard to be supportive. When we do talk to each other, not only will somebody be able to provide some context as to what's going on, but they might also, you say, I'm having this struggle. Oh, you know, he had that struggle in my class too, but then I started doing this and it really changed things. So maybe you should try that and you can brainstorm. We get a little bit tunnel visioned and only seeing one way of dealing with things. And as soon as you get a group of people, you can get out of those tunnels and see the whole situation and go, okay, let's figure out how best to help. Yeah, you might have a teacher say something like, oh yeah, you know, I was talking to so-and-so and and he said he really hates being called on in class. And then you realize like, man, I've been calling on that kid for the last three weeks and they haven't said anything to me except for they've misbehaved or they've said something rude. And just that 10 seconds of dialogue with another teacher can be huge. One of the things that you also talked about a second ago is that in order to have this communication, you have to really be paying attention to all of your kids. And that seems like a duh kind of (laughs) a comment, but you should be watching for it. If a student all of a sudden starts behaving differently, that's the moment to jump into gear. Put the feelers out with their other teachers and say, are you guys noticing these problems? And then perhaps if you think it might be something serious, then the counselors might be the person you just go to them and say, hey, so-and-so is acting really differently. Do you want to call them in and and talk to them and see what's going on? Because then they do have the training. Because, man, I hate going and asking kids those kinds of questions and then kind of putting my foot in my mouth. I'm dense enough sometimes to be like, you're acting like somebody died. And they're like, yeah, it was my grandma. And you're like, oh, you know, like sometimes I lack the decorum that a counselor has been trained to have. The last thing you want to do is to pile on to whatever else is going on at home or or, uh, emotionally or or mentally or whatever with the student by adding a bunch of extra work that maybe isn't necessarily totally necessary. And so I think just looking at areas that you can maybe lighten the load a little bit, if that could be done in in five or six of that student's classes so that they're still getting what they need, but maybe can, can focus on some other things in life, that could be huge, especially for students who are academically driven and who do want to do well and are also trying to deal with the, you know, the death of a loved one or a breakup or they just got evicted from their home or whatever that may be that's huge when they're saying well I still want to get you know a B or better in your class and right now I don't have anywhere to sleep so I think I think looking at how you can adjust the academic load is is definitely helpful another thing I didn't write it down but this is a thing that I think is important um, is to not stigmatize the kid 
if they have something, especially when it's something really obvious, like they're pregnant or they've just had a kid. I remember when I taught seniors, I had a girl who sometimes would not have childcare and she'd have to bring her baby to school. And I remember I taught holding her baby so she could do work. You know, I would just carry him around and play with him while while teaching. And for one thing, it was great because I liked playing with a baby, but you could just see kind of like the visual relief of, oh, my teacher's not going to yell at me about this kid and doesn't think that I'm a bad person for having a kid and wants me to be successful and is giving me a chance to do the things I need to do so I can graduate. In times of stress, in times where students are really struggling, just knowing that you have someone there to support you is a huge relief. And that's an opportunity to make a connection with with a student that uh, maybe you didn't have before and they'll appreciate it. When you take an interest in students and treat them like humans, especially if they are from a situation where they don't get that very often from people of an authority, they will bond with you and follow you anywhere. The last thing that I have written down is something that's definitely pretty trendy right now. I first heard about it from a colleague in Astoria, Jenny Newton, where she talked a lot about mindfulness, which is probably in the most layman terms, kind of this idea of self-care, being able to calm yourself and to kind of center yourself and, and be focused on what you're doing in that moment and try to avoid distraction. It's something that many of us need to do better, but most adults have some way of coping with things, and 15-year-old and 16-year-old kids maybe have haven't ever learned those things. They don't know how to deal with their emotions very well. And, you know, I've heard a lot of teachers say, well, that's not my job. My job is to deliver curriculum. But if you're delivering curriculum and nobody's listening to you because they have other issues on their minds, you're not being very effective. So being able to know some techniques and be able to work through some of those mindfulness skills can make a big difference as well because uh, there's been a lot of studies and a lot of information out there that all students can benefit from this, but particularly those kids who are coming from difficult backgrounds will be able to focus better and be more successful in their studies when they've got um, these kind of techniques in their back pocket. All right, well, this is a really complicated subject, and I know we just barely covered a fraction of what difficulties students face and the myriad of ways to help them. So please send us your comments and thoughts on Twitter and Facebook at SchoolJapod. We would love to hear from you and what you do. Or send us an email at schooljapodcast at gmail.com. And now a word from another of our sponsors. Hey, Schoolja listeners, this is Clint. As we approach the end of the semester and winter break, one thing is certain. Student behavior is going to devolve into chaos unless we as teachers have a plan in place. In the past, this meant devising gimmicky lessons filled with student-friendly and sometimes corny activities like snowflake making, coloring pages, and non-educational games devised only to keep the little monsters under control. It's a headache, it takes away from teaching time, and above all, it's messy. That glitter will never go away. But now there's a simple solution to this perennial problem. The fine folks at Big Brother Labs have devised a surveillance system that uses facial recognition technology to monitor student behavior for you, compiles a list of naughty and nice students, assigns detention to the naughty kids, and creates fun rewards and activities for those on the nice list, all in real time. They call it the Santa solution, and it really works. All I had to do was install four cameras in my classroom, one for each corner, download a program into my desktop computer, and sign several release forms, and it was up and running. Once the students knew that the Santa solution was watching their every move, knowing if they were asleep or awake, naughty or nice, my classroom management has been a breeze. So sign up for the Santa solution today and use the promo code ORWELLIAN at checkout for a 10% discount. The Santa solution. Making lists and busting heads since 1984. Phew! We made it to the final segment of the show. Dad, Dad Chat. Chat. That's right. Time we get to brag about what's happening in our lives that makes us happy. Clint, you go first. We're getting awfully close to the holiday break. 
And for our family, that means that we are headed to Disney World for the first time ever. So we're pretty excited about that. And we're going to spend Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Nikki's birthday, all three of those things, in the Disney parks. We're not staying on the property. We found an Airbnb about 15 minutes away. When you have a family of five, which is something that you will need to know uh, in the future here as you start traveling around and looking for motel rooms, they start wanting you to have a suite instead of a two queen bed even though you know you could make it work and so it starts to get more and more expensive to try and find hotel rooms and Airbnb gives you the option of you know people can sleep on couches and stuff the crazy thing is we ordered our tickets back in October they sent them to us and they didn't arrive and they didn't arrive and didn't arrive and then we got a sticker on our mailbox that said we sorry we missed your delivery can you come back later and we're like okay so we went to the post office and the post office was like we don't have any record of this package we don't have it at all and the they actually sent us the physical tickets and they were gone. Whoa. Yeah. And so we were super nervous. And so we called the company that we bought them from. Thankfully, the lady was really nice and she sent us a a scan of the tickets. And then we were going to have to go to the Disney front office and say, okay, here's our scan. Here's what happened. I went and got a certified letter from the post office that said that they lost them and it's their fault. So we'd have some backup that this isn't a thing that we're just making up saying we got these tickets. So we were ready to deal with that. and, And we were a little bit nervous because we didn't know what was going to happen. But then just the other day in our mailbox, we found a package that was stamped previously not found lost in equipment or something like that. And it was, you know, a month and a half late, but uh, but the official tickets showed up. So we were pretty excited. Out of all the things to get lost in the mail. Yeah, no kidding. So it was a little scary, but we're really excited to go to Disney World for the first time and see Florida kind of get out of the cold for the holidays. And next time we broadcast, we will be in Disney. So uh, what do you got? On the same note, you know, this drops on December 10th, which means we are kind of right in the thick of all the crazy Christmas stuff. And I know I shared a few weeks ago how much I love fall, but I think I love the Christmas season even more. And that means Christmas movies. Oh, yes. I was really racking my brain to try to figure out what to talk about on Dad Chat today. And this morning as we were eating breakfast, my daughter Daphne asked me, she said, Dad, I want you to tell me your favorite Christmas movie and your least favorite Christmas movie. And I thought, boom. Now, there's a lot of Christmas movies out there. With that said, the two that stood out to me as the worst, the ones that I really can't sit through, are The Polar Express. Oh, dead-eyed kids. It is so bizarre. It's a walking nightmare. I can't stand that movie. So, uh, you know, I grew up reading the book, and it's it's a really cool book, but the movie's like an acid trip. Of, <laughs> it's like The Polar Express on acid. So have you, have you heard of the phenomenon, The Uncanny Valley? Oh, yes. So listeners aren't familiar with Uncanny Valley. It's basically this idea of when robots or cartoons get so close to reality that they kind of meet this point where it gets creepy and uh, the Polar Express nails it. Uh, And then another one on pretty much the same lines with the Uncanny Valley is the Jim Carrey version of A Christmas Carol. Yes. Um, Same director. Yeah. It's super bizarre, super hard to follow, very slow. Those were what we agreed upon as the two worst. These are pretty obvious ones, maybe. Uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Funny, quotable, a lot of quotable lines in there that my kids yeah. love to use all year long. Elf with uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah. Uh, definitely one of the top three. And then probably my favorite of all time is Christmas Vacation. Oh, okay. Uh, again, something I can have on doing anything. Don't have to sit down and watch the whole thing, but just loving it, having it on in the background and, and lots of quotable things. If you remember a few years ago when I dressed up as Cousin Eddie. Oh, yes. Our dress up day. Uh, so I have a question for you. I want you to give me one kind of lesser known Christmas movie of yours that doesn't maybe kind of meet the big standard.
Sanders, the big blockbusters, but uh, something that you would recommend or people might be surprised about being a good Christmas movie. Okay, well, there's a lot of talk out there about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so if we go by those standards of a movie that's not really a Christmas movie but takes place at Christmas time and has Christmas elements to it, it's a movie that divides people. Not very many people love it the way that I do, but Batman Returns ah. with Danny DeVito. Right, as the penguin. And Michelle Pfeiffer is the Catwoman. Yep. I remember seeing that movie as a kid and just loving it. That's my not quite a Christmas movie, Christmas movie that I really like. I like it. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to make one more recommendation. Okay. This is very much a Christmas movie, but I've shown this a few times to some of my classes and the kids have never seen it, which is a little bit surprising. Uh, have you seen Christmas with the Cranks? No. I think it's just one of those, like if you see the cover of it, it's Tim Allen and it's Jamie Lee Curtis and they kind of got this goofy look on their face. And I remember for years and years and years having no interest in it until I read John Grisham's Skipping Christmas, which is a great short novel. And it's just this funny story about this family that chooses to uh, skip Christmas for one year and kind of like all the stuff that they have to go through and, and the peer pressure and kind of everyone looking down upon them. We read it every year to our kids and they made a movie out of it. And that is, and they changed the title to Christmas with the Cranks. If, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to check it out. All right. Well, we did it. We reached the end of the show. Have a question that we didn't get to today? Want to join the conversation on helping students maneuver through their personal difficulties? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooldiapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at schooldiapod. Follow me on Instagram at chatterboxes. You can also find me on Twitter at Astoria. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. My talented wife, Nikki, provided the theme music, as always. Corey Logan created our cover art, and all our sponsors are fake news. <laughs> if you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people find us. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Anything else you want to say? Ha! <laughs>